0: Coffee drinkers, we are back, back from Spain, back from the sessions. I'm sitting here debating, like, like I, I just so badly want to share this with everyone because I'm so excited about the way the record came out. Obviously, I know that's probably not the thing to do, uh, but as I'm sitting here, um kind of, I've got a ton of roughs. I've got them up in my iTunes. They're playing through my speakers in the studio here. As I'm sitting here, like, oh, should I pick one track and play the whole thing? Should I play some clips for you guys? I was going through them and then this this one piece came on and sort of just reminded me of what I wanted to highlight in today's podcast and talk about a little bit and the importance of it while it's still really fresh, while the while the whole experience of being in La Casa Morrada in, uh, in Spain in the studio there with all the cats, while that is still really, really fresh in my mind. And it's, re- it's 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 a really simple thing it's it's the fact that in the midst of the sessions i realized well i realized a ton of things actually but in in the midst of the sessions I realized how much more how i how, yeah, i realized how much i had underestimated the open mindedness and giving nature of the musicians I'd hired. I already thought that they were just exceptional at that. That was the main reason they were there. Uh, it's, it, when you get to this stage, I think, at least for me, when I, now I'm at this stage in my life, in my career, in my playing, in my music, it's, it, it's obviously a little bit about how someone plays, but the, the biggest factor when hiring someone is about how they are and who they are as a person and that that automatically translates in the music so as long as there is that kind of you know basic foundation of they're a great musician um it's really about the personality of that person and with nico and tom boy did that shine through uh just every single note they played and i'm, I'm listening back to these roughs here and there's there's a piece of music very simple diatonic major tonality d major and as with a with um i guess i should probably explain kind of there were three main lanes let's say that i was in for this record um and the over kind of the overall concept of the album was not to make average shit for average people i've talked about that a bunch um you know it's uh, i'm i'm happy out at the fringe i'm happy out at the edge experimenting and really not caring what people think, and the, and the people who are who, who are meant to come along for the ride inevitably will because they'll be drawn and and, and attached to the music, and, and that's fine. I'm not trying to make music for millions of people, so that was the overarching kind of concept, and and within that kind of appear kind of three different lanes of exploration. There was the completely you know trio improvised kind of exploration of just the three of us going for it no sequencing no um no nothing really just listening to each other and as you'll see in the documentary tom talks about this uh about kind of the concept of live composition and within that lane of trio improvisation there was a moment um where tom uh, and what we were in the control room listening back to some of the stuff and he said we were listening to this piece of music that was completely improvised and it was 5 or 6 minutes long and Tom looked over to me and he said man this is compositionally quite sound you know just as he was like taking in the overview of it that the the higher definition overview like in the control room not through a pair of headphones but through the nice big speakers and listening to it as as a as a as a whole for the first time and he said yeah this, this is compositionally quite sound so that was one of the major things that came out of our improvising was that Together as a group, we were able to compose in real time and and use repetition and create form from nothing, and create melody and 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 make it really cohesive in terms of improvisation. Um, the second lane, uh, not that these were preconceived, I have to say, I knew we were going to improvise, I knew I wanted to use pedals, but the way in which they manifested wasn't was not conceived, uh, preconceived rather. But that the second lane was kind of using. Using this new pedal by Ranger Effects, what well, new to me? This pedal by Ranger Effects called the Snare Trap, um, as well as the the Otto Bit Junior, quite a bit, and and also kind of a, a little mini sequencer patch I built for myself or programmed in the in the HX Stomp. Like between those few things, I was able to really build some, you know, some little sequences and have something as a tempo and as a as an ostinato for the band to improvise to and, and, and kind of give myself the freedom to sit above the mix a little bit and not just be playing bass the whole time. Uh, I was also using some tape loops as well. You might have caught some of that over the past few months. I've been experimenting with a little dictaphone, and I, I recorded Tom playing acoustic piano, and then I plugged that into my pedal rig and created loops and sequences out of that for us to play to. So that was kind of the second lane, like the you know sequencing uh, lane, for want of a better word. And the third lane was the one that was preconceived and was the one I was least confident about and didn't really know if it would work. Uh, but these melodies were in my head and I was curious as to how they would sound with the band. You know, I, My whole thing was I didn't really want to write an album. I didn't want another like yet another jazz album with chords and solos and this, that, and the other, like the, just the generic kind of expected uh, element of a of a sort of, for want of a better word, jazz trio record. But I took seven compositions with me, and and that's using the term composition. I get in certain senses quite lightly um, because they were just sketches, and in other moments they ended up being very composed, and that's really. What I want to explain, that was what I was getting at in the beginning of the episode here today, is that the openness and the willing to, the willingness to really serve the music from Nico and Tom, and of course from Juan Pablo as well, it, it, the controls, you know, engineering this thing, everyone was giving some incredible input, zero ego. I guess that's the best way to describe it. There was just no ego at all. Nobody was... You know, trying to get oh, I have to force my my will upon this situation, or I need this amount of. There must be at least three minutes of drum solo on this record. I must play the this certain keyboard a certain way, and and for me, I was like shying away from bass solo. I didn't want to play them, even though I ended did end up kind of almost at the request of the other guys. Like, hey man, you should really like play a melody on this, or or play a solo on this. So that really. Highlighted how incredible those musicians are at serving the music first and taking themselves out of it. You know, making sure that the ensemble sound and the overall sound of the record was front and center. And that really comes across. And the the track I was playing right before I hit record was something I fully intended to do as a trio. I did not intend to play the melody on it and I did not intend to use a looper. And guess what? We're in the Control room. As with uh, all of these sketches, we kind of started off with me playing the guys the melody most of the time at the bass. Sometimes we were out by the piano in the main tracking room, but for the most part, I was just with the looper, put the chord changes in, play the melody, give people a feel for the idea, and then you know see what input they they had and how we might orchestrate and arrange that idea to to bring it to life as a song. And as I was, now let me see if I can grab just. The beginning here Because you may or may not If you follow me on Instagram and, and, and have listened to the podcast before You may have heard this idea Something I've been working on for a little while um, Something I've been conceptualizing Harmonically and melodically For a few months With this recording session in mind So I just played I just played it into the looper Of course all three of us Were in the control room at this point So there were, there were no drums on it It was just me playing it into the looper so I, I get the the form of it in there, and and uh, we, we're discussing brushes. Actually, me and Nico and Juan Pablo are discussing brushes and what the groove might be. And I kind of reference Matheny's Last Train Home, but that's more ticket ticket ticket. That's more sixteenth notes. And we were like, no, 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 we can't go sixteenth notes because that's just too on the nose, uh, like Matheny group nineties uh, kind of vibe. And then when Nico sat down the drums, he came up with that halftime groove. So he's kind of stirring the brushes, but it's three, four, one, two. Instead of boom, um, ta, um, ta, um, ta, um, ta, It's really like a beautiful, lush halftime groove that was totally his idea and fit the song perfectly. But even before we got to that, I play the melody one time for the guys. I'm like, okay, so what do you think? Where, where, where can we go with this? Well, I'm thinking like, is Tom going to play the pianette? Is he going to play the acoustic piano, the synth? Like, what? Where are we going with this? And Tom just says, man, I think that sounds beautiful on its own. I don't think I should play on this. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, and I thought about it for a second, and I was like, oh, well, of course, we can give it a try. And he kind of sat there. Was he reading the newspaper? or He was really mellow, just super relaxed. I don't think he was reading the – oh, maybe he was watching the the football on on Antonio's iPad – his team, Lincoln, were playing. Uh, who were they playing? Were they playing Charles? I can't remember who they were playing, but his team was playing, and they were actually winning, and he was in a good mood and super mellow. And he said, like, you know what? I think this sounds good without me. And we ended up cutting the whole song. I ended up using the looper. I The, the looper you're going to hear, the loop of the form you will hear on the album, the one I'm giving you a little preview to in the background here, is the one that I recorded just really off the cuff to show the guys the song. It wasn't something I then reset the loopers and did sort of quote-unquote live and in the moment for the song. I, I even say, I think, in the documentary, like, fuck it, I like the way that one feels. I'm not going to erase it and do it for the cameras over again. You know, I really really want to serve the music. So there were a bunch of things happened, like, really in that moment. With Tom saying, hey, I think this is great as a duo, um, and sort of giving me... Encouragement, and it, it, as, as we went through the process of talking about it, it giving me the confidence to play the melody and to play a solo, and to not feel like the bottom drops out when we go to the bridge because there's no loop there. Like there was just really great notes being given um, from everyone, and I was very receptive, very thankful for that, and very receptive of it. And I think that comes out in the performance a lot. Um, and then there was the the thing of like, oh, there are cameras all over the place. Uh, sometimes three cameras at a time, and but but this is not a video. Uh, this is not a music video. This is not. I'm I'm not playing for the cameras. I'm making this music for me and for the group, and eventually for the audience, you guys. Hopefully, that are going to listen to it. I'm I'm not here to make a really polished video of this, and having that in the back of my mind was really important as we as we went through the three days in the studio and having the freedom to just start playing any I wanted, regardless of whether Jesper or Lars were in the right place or whether the right battery or the right memory card was in a camera. Maybe we missed the beginning of a song on one of the three cameras. Just, I just didn't care about that at all. For the film side, the mandate, which I was really specific about in the end, b- b- before we went there, I had a production meeting with, with, uh, with Jesper, with the main video cat, and I was like, look, you know what, the mandate for this one is documentary. It's not about getting beautiful looking complete takes of every song to post on YouTube for free. That's not the thing at all. I really want to tell the story of how this all unfolded. So all the things I'm explaining to you right now and and recounting for you, Tom and Nico and Juan Paulo and just everyone's input, that I think really comes across well in the documentary as a result of not being so crazy about getting every second of every performance on all three cameras. And even with that mandate, we still, I I still am able to, if I wanted to make cuts of every song, We, we, I think we tracked about 25 songs in the end. I could still make video cuts of every single song, despite us like officially not going for that. So the, the coverage was amazing. Um, but more so than the the more amazing than than the coverage was the really the, the the story that I'm going to be able to tell through the documentary and kind of share how all of that kind of unfolded in the moment and I'll play a little bit of the melody of this uh, I think we had just about got there um, um What it did was give me a ton of space. When I get to that note, I just let that note ring. There's nothing else going on except that beautiful snare drum part and, you know, obviously the loop in the background. But it gave me, you know, by Tom taking himself off that track, gave me so much space to work with. And really, all, all all you are left with is that melody, which to me is the most important part of this song. And, uh, yeah, even as I listen back to it now, I'm like, yes, that's what a great idea of Tom's. Also, please bear in mind, these are coming, this is like unmixed MP3 audio coming through a pair of small studio monitors into the little stereo room mic on the front of my H6. So because I'm hearing it sort of way more in HD than you are right now, and I'm really... I don't think I've ever been happier. Here's a statement. I don't think I've ever been happier with the natural sound of my bass on a recording, and I'm only listening to the rough so far. Like, it only gets better from here. That, to me, is a 20-plus, 23, 24-year struggle of trying to figure that out, and I think we just (laughs) managed to nail it last week. And, um... I also think it took being in the control room for the entire session. That was another thing I was really happy and made the decision on. When we first started setting up, which, of course, <laughs> you'll see in the documentary, uh, but when we first started setting up, we were going to do like the quote-unquote traditional thing and put Nico in the in the drum room, you know, big old room for himself, like a really nice-sized room. You could fit Terry Bozio's drum sitting there. It's like a solid... Maybe not that one, that's ridiculous, but yeah, you can fit Lars Ulrich or Portnoy or or Mangini or someone like that in there. Solid room, solid, big rock drum room. And, you know, I was going to go in the main room because it looks nice and the vaulted ceilings and the exposed brick and all this crazy history and Tom was going to be in there and it would be easier for the acoustic piano if I was DI'd and the piano was might. Then the piano would only have to deal with with well, the piano mics would only have to deal with piano and not live drums or a live bass amp in the room. But, that, I don't know, bass players, you know this. You know this, uh, I guess, as well or better than anyone. Like, playing bass into headphones, even really good headphones, just doesn't give you that vibe. At least it doesn't for me, and it never has. And it's something, I think, as bass players, we get better at dealing with. And if I'm on a session playing bass, like just being the bass player in the band, clean sounds, you know, and by clean, I mean maybe a tiny bit of compression or preamp, but no effects, no octave pedal, no delays, reverbs, you know, synths, none of that stuff. If it's just a bass session, you know, over the last 25 years, I've definitely gotten a lot better at just playing through the headphones, knowing what it's going to sound like basically, because I know my sound so well and, being able to do a great job in the studio playing on headphones going direct that wasn't what this record was about at all and when we you know we had a little kind of quick meeting in the middle of the main room me and nico and tom and juan Pablo, and we're like look how much acoustic piano are we actually going to play on this record and i think juan paulo asked hey guys maybe i can say something a little blasphemous could you overdub that shit <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I have no problem overdubbing some acoustic piano if we need it. And even live, we were going to go maybe 15 or 20% grand piano and the rest was going to be keyboards and synths and stuff. So decision was made. Put Nico in the big room. It might also be the best drum sound I've ever heard straight into the console as well. That room was amazing. Of course, it's the drums. It's the player first. Like It's what you put in is what you get out. That the the combination of Nico being a ridiculous drummer and having amazing touch, knowing how to tune his drums, having cymbals that sound really incredible and very appropriate for this music. When you put that with a incredible room, like I said, vaulted ceilings really high. And then just, you know, an engineer at the top of his game. That's a pretty deadly combination of three factors coming together to, to produce a desired result. And, that that in itself, like that moment of of being in the in the main room, talking with Juan Pablo again, it, it just reminded me of how many records we had made together in New York back in the day. I mean, dozens and dozens of recording sessions, days upon days in the studio. Me producing, him engineering, sometimes me also playing, um, but definitely a lot of me producing and him engineering and us working as a team on 30 40 i don't know so many records i i mean that we were having we a dinner and stuff we were talking about record dates separately of each other in new york and then realizing oh shit we did that one together and like completely forgetting about we we forgot about more than we could remember it was it was really really reminded me a of course why we're great friends uh how we had made great music in the past and why we were then sort of reunited for these sessions last week. So that was a nice moment. And the upshot of it was, I end up in the control room on a pair. Of, I forget what I forget what make they were, but there was like a $20,000 pair of uh, studio monitors sitting up there, plus a pair of pro which pro Pro-Arc, pro I don't know how you say it, uh, which were amazing as well. And those are the ones, exact ones, that Juan Pablo has in his studio at home, which he would be mixing the record on. So everything kind of lined up, and I ultimately got to hear something really really close to what i was playing to to what to the to the content i was playing that how that should sound on the record how that would sound eventually on the record i got a really close representation of that in real time like listening to a final mix kind of and then all the little byproducts and bonuses of being in the control room next to the the engineer next to Juan Paulo and being able to say hey bro can you come and like I don't have hands or feet free. Can you come down here and like fade out this one looper because I'm going to go in this different direction? Also being able to troubleshoot things, um, telling him what I'm about to do. Maybe there's going to be a big spike in signal in one side or something like just really being able to be in communication with the person at the controls who's ultimately capturing everything you're doing. That was priceless. Highly recommend that if you're thinking about going in the studio and doing something especially if it's for yourself. And I would just, I think, I mean, I've done it a few times before. I can remember a few instances where I was able to track in the control room. Quite often it's on an overdub and then it's fine. It's its rare to be able to do that live. You know, not so many studios have that massive floor-to-ceiling uh, glass like like we had last week, which was amazing. I could see both guys and also be in the control room. So it's not always ideal, you know, staring through a little window or maybe you're even on video, like if you're at a studio that doesn't have direct line of sight, so it's not always ideal. But I think I will make um, as much of an effort as I can to do that always in the future, sort of regardless of, of what session I'm on or whose music I'm playing. It was a big learning experience, and the results like are just insane. Like just And, okay, that's all subjective. Maybe you like the music or you don't. Okay, I, I really dug what we got. Uh, But regardless of, like, how the audience feels about it, just the feeling I had when I left the studio was incredible. Knowing that I'd sort of, like, what was it Juan Pablo said, we're in the middle of, like, day two or something, and we're, like, we're cooking. This shit is just cooking. And improvisation is working, and like I said, the the live composition thing, and we're coming in the control room to listen back, and be like, "Yep, that's it. Move on. Next thing." It's all all going, and the, one of those moments after a playback, Tom and Nico went back in the main room, and Juan Pablo like said something. I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of, "Man, you know, when you're doing something you love, and the shit is really working out like the way you kind of wanted it to." I think that's what's happening right now, and that's kind of rare like for for people who are listening who have been in a in the studio before if you've if you've been like a few dozen times in the studio, I'm sure you've had those situations where things are like kind of crashing and burning once in a while, and something's not going quite right and you're troubleshooting, and maybe the, the the takes aren't coming out the way you want, or you make a mistake and have to go back. It's all those little variables, and we were hitting like almost none of them. I think that was probably due to the nature of the fact that a lot of it was improvised. So, in in a lot of instances, there were no wrong notes. There was stop, and there were there was start, and there was stop. That was pretty much it. Um, and we did have a couple of gremlins, the computer. You know, we I think we had a corrupted Pro Tools file at some point that, that took 10 or 15 minutes to figure out and troubleshoot. But other than that, we were in the middle, so in the, we couldn't have been any more in the middle of the music. And like to be able to, it's like for all of those things to align. First of all, just for everyone to get there at the right time, the right place. There were no flights cancelled, no No, nothing like that. Uh, A couple of bags got lost. My bag and Nico's bag got lost, and they ended up coming, you know, five or six hours later on day one. So we were kind of initially tracking in our plain clothes, which wasn't great. Uh, Not so bad for Nico; he'd only come from Paris, but I'd flown like I'd been on on the go for like thirty hours. I had three flights. I'd gone L.A. to where the fuck did L.A. to Chicago, Chicago to Frankfurt, Frankfurt to Barcelona. So I'd had kind of one of those days um and then the drive as well it's like an hour drive to the studio picked up the, you're, you're gonna see all this in the in the movie it's all uh the cameras were rolling let's just say the cameras didn't stop rolling until we got back to the airport three, <laughs> three days later um so yeah that's that's my world right now editing the movie it's really really fun and Trying to pick out that, like if I had my way, it'd be like nine hours long or something. There's so much footage I'd like to share, complete takes with of all the stuff with you guys. But that doesn't really make for something that's compelling. Um, and there were some great interviews done with Tom and Juan Paolo and Nico. And I did some kind of on-camera talking as well to lend some narrative to the story and all the behind the scenes. And just the, yeah, just sort of uh, lifting the, 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 the veil on on how how it all came together and making it a bit less of a mystery and showing you guys how how well the trio ended up communicating as a unit. I think that's probably gonna be the overall narrative of it. Um but let's see. May fifteenth that's it. That's the that's the crunch day. I'm like <laughs> all eyes on May fifteenth for me right now. And and hopefully it all just comes together swimmingly. We haven't Juan Pablo just got back to Argentina, so he's going to start mixing the record. So um, I'm just cutting the video on uh, on rough mixes right now, which is fine, easy to easy enough to fly in the the final mixes for the movie. And then I'm considering doing a couple of overdubs. Um, still, there's so much material. I still really haven't been able to go through it from start to finish and really make some. Um, executive decisions there Um, so I'm thinking about maybe adding a little quiet thing here and there, there was some beautiful ambient moments, maybe I'll play you a tiny clip of this Um, oh excuse me just so much space and the stereo setup Um, yes some Some really beautiful kind of cinematic soundscape kind of things that may um maybe improve with some really soft like female choir vocals on them i'm not sure yet i I did start hearing some melodies and arrangements and sort of counterpoint stuff on the plane coming home so we'll see um that might be a might be one step too far it may may just not be um appropriate for the album. who knows. That's something I now have the luxury of about, what have I got? It's the 11th of April today, so I've got sort of a month and four days to really, uh, well, a little less than that to make musical decisions, but I do have a little bit of time. I'm not so rushed, um, which is really nice. That means I can you know, come down off the high of being in the studio and the whole being in the moment of it, really step back, give it a good listen, see how the movie's coming out, and you know, try and enhance it even more. And then when I start hearing those final mixes as well, maybe, maybe it just won't need anything else. It's the the sound of the drum, the sound of everything. Actually, we did hit one kind of snag as we as we arrived at the studio, in that they had a really nice um, list of sort of vintage keyboards. There's a harmonium and there's a B three and a pianet and a Rhodes and a grand piano. All this stuff, and we're like, oh great, so we're definitely going to use the Rhodes. And we get there and we're doing setup, and the owner of the studio is like, ah, yeah, the roads is actually in Barcelona this weekend being repaired. So that was it. No roads for the session. So we're like, oh, shit. That was probably going to be our main keyboard. So then we roll out this old, not roll out, we <laughs> find this pianette, pianette N, I think, or pianette T. I can't I think of the pianette N. Super vintage, like literally blew the dust off it, like an old book you find. In a, in a dungeon somewhere, and it was like sitting on top. Of, you'll see that in the video as well, I'm sure. It was sitting on top of this huge uh, wooden, whatever it was, chest. It was like a bread-drying... Like a set of drawers, like 20 drawers. It was like taller than me for drying bread or something. or I, I don't know. Some crazy vintage shit in this place from the 12th century, um, this farmhouse. So anyway, we, we dusted off this pianet and that was it. That was what we used on most of the record. It sounded so unique, so original, something I don't hear on records at all. Like You hear Rhodes, you hear Whirly. I guess you used to hear Clavinet a little more than you do now on some records. You hear some of those kind of obvious keyboards popular keyboards i'm going to say obvious that sounds like it's a bad thing but like you know popular keyboards um but never pianet uh, especially in this context as well like improvising like this and you know it was uh it was in a little bit of rough shape we uh, dusted it off and gave it a you know walked around it kicked the tires a little bit and boy did it come to life and tom had a really nice um Tape delay with him and uh, the Muga Fuga ring mod, which you'll hear a bunch of on the record, uh, that he put it through. And I think it was also stereo, which was awesome. I just really, really nice touch that the main, like the nucleus of the trio was pianet, drums, and electric bass, just the way they were tuned. Nico bought an 18-inch kick, um, which sounded huge in the room. Also had this like Yamaha sub kick in front of it. Just so many options sonically and i think we uh we really got to a lot of them really successfully i'm just buzzing from how uh from how well it all went and we avoided disaster and everyone was in great health and in great spirits and was surrounded by you know people really important to me in my life it wasn't just musicians there i had a couple of friends there as well that were massively important to me in my life so that was just awesome to be surrounded by the right people and um, and then some crazy food situations and some nice hangs because there's accommodation at the studio. So our accommodation was walk out of the main tracking room into the kitchen dining room right next to the bedrooms. It was just the perfect situation to be in. I made it so relaxed. You know, all seven of us sitting around a long table, eating bread and cheese and ham and drinking some kaba. And I hadn't had alcohol in like three months or more than three since the, before New Year's. So that was like my first... Sort of alcoholic drink in three months. It was, and it was just all perfect. It just all came together so beautifully. Uh, I hope that's captured in the music. I actually really hope you don't need the movie for all that to come through. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been an amazing response. Like I've said before, so many people have uh, hit up the pre order. Um, that is still going. com. right there on the homepage. Five different levels to pre order the album. Um, from the entry level all the way through to the craziness of... uh, I think there's one of those songs left now. We sold a couple of those unique kind of of one-of-one songs. There were only three available. Two have gone. There's one left, I believe. And there are a couple more of the meet-and-greet, like the the Tier 4 package. Um, Plus, everyone in that is also getting executive producer credit on the documentary as well. Just um, a really... For people getting involved on that level, I know that's a massive commitment and I really want to make sure that is recognized and forever, you know. So that is going to be, you know, executive producer credit permanently in the credits of the documentary. Um, that was something I added after the pre sale launch, but everyone who has bought that level so far is getting that. And I think there are maybe three of the two or three of those left. I know it was limited to 10. And maybe two, maybe three left. I think three left right now. Um, so if you're into that and you have the means, that is uh, that, that's, that is now an option. And, of course, the, the level three with the entire discography. I'm doing my entire discography in FLAC files, like high-fidelity files. Tier two includes the documentary and the starter kit. Uh, tier one is, of course, the album. Um, we're doing this poster as well. Quite excited about that. That was another add-on that I realized was kind of a cool thing to give to you guys. So for anyone involved in the pre-sale before May 15th, we're going to make this poster with everyone's name on it to commemorate um, the launch of the album. And we we can't print physical ones. We can't print physical ones and ship them all over the world. That's a logistical nightmare. But what we can do is give you the poster file in a really high-resolution format um, so you could... Print it in, in any size you like, basically. I mean, you couldn't probably couldn't cover the side of your house with it, but it, you could have a really nice kind of commemorative poster hanging on the wall if that's something you like. We're going to try and make it a very nice piece of art. Also, not just like, yeah, Yannick with Dollar Trio, lots of names. We are going to be somewhat creative with it, and uh, hopefully that will inspire you to print it off and hang it. So, yeah, that's uh, those are the few add-ons we're doing uh, for the pre-sale com. that is it for today i will be uh back in and out of the podcast as i as and when i can sneak the time between album uh album work movie editing and uh, and most importantly dad duty and being a bass player I have a few gigs um which is awesome <laughs> this is be really good to play now i'm home oh and also while you're at Yannickwasdala, checking out the presale, you can check out the tour dates as well they're actually like legit tour dates coming up. Things are coming in. Touring life is uh, being resuscitated and is coming back uh, to reality. And I I actually have a ton of tour dates coming up over the rest of the year. So, um, And some of them, are even with my trio, with this trio that we just recorded, um, the festival in uh, the end of August in Estonia. And we're going to be just before that in Monaco. Right now we're working on, I think... We're working on Helsinki, London, Paris, maybe M- Madrid. Let's see. Um going to be about a week, maybe maybe nine days touring end of August um, with my trio. Then some Bob Reynolds, some Steve Smith dates in New York and Rhode Island. Uh, yeah, a bunch of stuff. Check it out on the tour page at the website com. and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.